like dance, like acting. Public speaking is a movement of ideas from the artist to the audience. I believe that public speaking is an art. It comes down to our ability to create a vision in our audience's mind that inspires them to do something. That's the art of rhetoric. Then again, there's that old saying that says a picture paints a thousand words. That might imply that you should always include images or pictures with your speeches to make them more effective. That's the whole idea behind presentation software. I'm not going to argue that having images helps you explain complex data. But do you need images for all of your speech presentations? Today on the podcast, we're talking about adding images to your presentation to help you know when and how to use images and when to choose language that creates images in your audience's mind that exceeds any image you might show. Do you have a vision to change the world? Do you need to develop the skills to see it happen? Then Toastmasters is for you. We teach public speaking and leadership skills to help you change the world. This is Toastmasters 101, and I'm your host, Kim Kraji. There's a path in Toastmasters called Visionary Communications. I'm working through this path this year. However, I decided to change up the focus from creating vision to storytelling, and I probably need to report on that to you next week. But learning how to create a vision for your audience is the primary purpose of most public speaking. That's why using images is so effective. When we can't figure something out, images help us to comprehend the information. It's a great tool. Presentation software supports our message when we use it right. But when we use it wrong, well, that's the problem. How do you know when to use images? This year, we've all been using Zoom or other online software for meetings, Toastmasters meetings, professional meetings, educational classes. I start teaching a class in September on speech. Because of the uncertain nature of the pandemic, I'm preparing to record my lectures so that if I have a student who has to quarantine or if the schools are closed, I have the lectures already prepared. Two of the first presentations I need to record are my introduction and reviewing the syllabus. Should I use images? How do I decide? I believe the question you need to ask yourself is this. What's the point? What do pictures bring to your audience? We always have to remember that when we've got an online audience, they are conditioned to look for something else when they're bored with what they see on the screen. There's always something else to look at, even if it's a game of solitaire or an Instagram video. On the other hand, the most attractive image to the human being is the human face. So it behooves us to learn how to use our faces to create an attractive image on the screen to help us keep the audience's attention. Line that up with complex data that might need a chart and funny images, and somewhere in there, there's got to be a balance. In the process of making my lecture decisions, I found myself going both ways, images and not images. Here's my big problem. I don't know how to edit video. If I'm going to use my face, I'm only going to use my face unless I magically learn how to edit video in the next week. If I'm going to use images, I'm only going to use images. For that, I'm going to use Canva.com. It's an online website that produces great pictures and images and presentations 
I can even use it as my presentation software. Because of my limitations, I need to make a decision and stick to it. My personal introduction is not going to take long. Maybe two minutes? I'm not sure I have a lot to say, and honestly, when we first meet in a classroom, I'm not interested in making my students comfortable with me just yet. My entire first class session is about introducing students to their stage fright symptoms and ratcheting up that stress to make sure the students feel each and every one of those horrible sensations. Yes, it sounds cruel, but I promise it's only for a little while and they learn so much from the experience. And they're also relieved when they survive the class and it's over. I think that my intro can be short. My name and my purpose in teaching the class. That's pretty much it. Now, the syllabus is a different matter altogether. For a class that has students from ages 10 to 18, I've discovered that most of them have never seen a syllabus, have no clue what it is, or even how to spell it. I have to review all of the components of the class within the syllabus with the students. And this presentation isn't going to be quick. The syllabus contains all the links they need to assignments, instructions regarding turning their homework in, expectations about presentations. You are not giving a speech wearing black socks, sandals, gym shorts, and a Cleveland Cavaliers basketball t-shirt in my class. This document is six pages long. And while I don't have to cover every link or assignment from the start, I do need to make sure that they know how to read the syllabus. Since this is going to take roughly seven to 10 minutes, I'm pretty sure I'm going to use images and try to add some humor to indicate where I am in the document. This is not where I want to scare them. This is where I want to inform them. What I'm saying is the primary decision on whether or not to use images is based on my audience, not on my message. I think sometimes we get this wrong. We think our data is more important, and that's a mistake. The image we see with our eyes may be worth a thousand words, but the image we have with our mind's eye is immensely more valuable. After all, communication has three parts, the speaker, the audience, and the message. When we prioritize one of these over the other, we get out of balance and we inhibit communication. Our data, our images, these are tools. They're not the end in themselves. So how do we create vision in our audience? If the whole purpose of what we want to do with our public speaking is to inspire change, to get our audience to act, we have to create a vision for them where they can see themselves doing something new, something different. That's the challenge and the fun of public speaking. I can use images to help people understand my information. Vision is entirely different, and it applies to the different part of the human being and the human brain. Facts apply to our brains. They should appeal to our sense of reason. But decisions aren't always made on facts alone. We have to consider the three great cores of communication, logos, pathos, and ethos. For example, when I teach speech, we do an analysis of two famous speeches. In Dr. Martin Luther King's great speech, I Have a Dream, we see the heights of how effective the right words can be. His speech inspired a nation to seek change. Crafting a speech like Dr. King's it will take a lifetime of experience, but we can start with learning how it's done now and practicing it in our Toastmasters meeting. Dr. King used language that inspired people to do better. His years of preaching his faith and his years of public speaking had created his unique voice that called all men to do better in their society. How do you do that? How do we do that? 
I think we start by studying the greats. Toastmasters never expects us to look into the past for examples, but history is rife with them and we can learn from them. Great speakers, great speeches don't just happen. Somebody has to understand the power of knowing the audience and understanding how language affects us. Of course, I'm going to suggest studying Dr. King's speech. I'll also suggest speeches by James Baldwin, Winston Churchill, United States Presidents Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy and Barack Obama. I believe that there are many great speeches in every culture and nation that I don't even know about. Wait, Susan B. Anthony and Sojourner Truth. Go look those speakers up. Read those speeches. Listen to them. Speeches aren't meant to be read. They're meant to be heard. Next, consider rhetorical devices. Repetition works. Dr. King's speech has come to be known as I Have a Dream, but that's not the original title, and nobody remembers the original name. He had used that phrase, I Have a Dream, in previous speeches, and he was prompted by a guest at the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom to talk about his dream. By repeating the phrase, he worked it into the audience's mind. Sojourner Truth's speech, Ain't I a Woman?, also uses repetition effectively. Do we expect repetitions to be thematic or important words? Abraham Lincoln used repetition with the simple words, we cannot, in his Gettysburg Address. We can also repeat without being repetitious. Consider parallel construction by using phrases like, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, which John F. Kennedy said at his inaugural speech. He used repetition without repeating himself, although if you read or listen to that speech, Kennedy maximizes repetition of phrases. Using alliteration in your speech helps your audience engage with you. It amuses us. It captures our imagination. At the same time, too much alliteration can reduce its effectiveness. You don't want to sound like you're investing in tongue twisters, and you don't want to trip yourself up. But when you use it well, your audience responds well. What imagery do you want to inspire? Alliteration just doesn't come naturally to me. When I'm writing my speeches, I will often find a better word choice in alliterations when I practice or worse, when I deliver the speech. It's disheartening to listen to myself say something on the fly that was so good. And if I had known it sooner, I could have crafted a better speech. And I do that frequently. You will find a great list of all these rhetorical devices on the Merriam-Webster website. The link is in the show notes, as are the links to all the speeches I've mentioned. That includes examples of each of these rhetorical devices. Go read and get inspired. Finally, the last thing that inspires your audience to get your vision is to lay it out with how it will impact the world. I teach this in a debate class as a persuasive technique to win a structured debate. Impacts create vision. When you can put an image into people's mind, it's their vision of what you want them to see. And that's very interesting. But think about it. When we read a book or hear a podcast, we have our own images in our minds. When I'm telling a story, I don't have to say, I'm standing in a gray kitchen beside a gas stove and a white refrigerator. Those details don't matter in my story, so I don't need to include them. But the audience who listens to me has an image of a kitchen, their kitchens. When you want to inspire change, you can depend on your audience to create their own imagery in their own minds. 
And that's much better for you. Your audience now has a buy-in to your message when they have images that come to their mind with your words. They have emotional links to those images. You get to build on those. Don't tear them down. Don't rebuild with your exact images where your audience doesn't have the emotional connection. That's why mental images are far more important than any image you might put up on a screen. If I don't have an emotional connection with your vision, it stays your vision. I don't engage. I don't buy into it. The first inspirational speech I gave in Toastmasters was for the Competent Communicator Manual about hypermiling, a driving technique that reduces fuel consumption back when gas was double the price it is today. When I was creative and demonstrated the impact of hypermiling with a story and with data, I had several people tell me that my speech changed how they drove. Did I give them a picture of the car I was talking about driving? No, I gave them their mental images and they bought into what I was talking about, how to reduce their fuel costs. Next week, I have to go to an enrollment meeting for my classes. I always explain that I have no clue what a quadratic formula does or why it gets two answers, but I do talk every day. And the single best skill that a successful person needs is the ability to speak to others. I have inspired many families to join my classes because I gave the parents the vision of their children's success. And I gave the students an image of being able to convince their parents to permit a particular goal. One student used what I taught in the class to get a pet lizard. What kid doesn't have something that they want that their parents don't? I never dreamed of assisting in the acquisition of a lizard, but that was the image in my student's mind. The image we see with our eyes may be worth a thousand words. The image we see with our mind's eye is immeasurably more. Images and vision. What works for your audience and for your message? That's how you decide if you use images in your speech. Whatever your message is, your success depends on how you communicate your vision to your audience. We at Toastmasters will teach you and we will give you the opportunities to practice those skills. Our music today is from incompetech.filmmusic.io. Toastmasters 101 is a podcast production of Toastmasters District 10. Our international Toastmasters convention is being held this month and it's online. You can attend the Toastmasters virtual convention for free. You can register now at toastmasters.org. The link is in the show notes. You can even see the world championship of public speaking. Remember, Toastmasters District 10 competitor is waiting to hear if she's going to make it to the final round. We are rooting for you, Kitty. Join us next week when I talk about storytelling and how I change a Toastmasters pathway path to achieve my personal goals. 